everyone, it's Mark. Today's episode is sponsored by Paint Care. Paint Care is the industry's own solution for the problem of post-consumer paint waste. The organization has already collected over 50 million gallons and redirected them from landfills and waterways. Paint Care currently operates in 10 states and the District of Columbia with New York, the 11th state, coming online in May of 2022. Paint Care is both good for the environment and your business. 35% of dealers who sign up to be a Paint Care drop-off location report new customers shopping in their store as a direct result of their participation in Paint Care. To learn more about Paint Care, go to paintcare.org forward slash retailers. Before I go on to the episode, let me thank independent paint retailer, Mike Fleck, for sending me this shirt so I could wear on today's episode. Mike has two stores on the Jersey Shore. Tom's River, New Jersey is one of them. I'm not sure uh, where the other one is, but in that same general area, Mike has two stores. They've been in his family for 40 years. They're a C2 dealer as well as Hunter Douglas and Shaw Floors. Mike has been a good friend and a follower of my work for a very long time, and I have always appreciated how willing he is to give me feedback and let me know how I'm doing. So Mike, continue to stay in touch with me, continue to share what's on your mind. Thank you so much, as always, to you and for all the dealers that support the work that I do in this channel by sending me shirts or just watching, liking, and subscribing to the work that I put out. So thank you very much, Mike, for sending this along, and I look forward to showcasing another dealer on the next episode. Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Thanks so much for joining me today. With me today on my podcast is Carl Minshew. Carl is a friend of mine, former employee, about a 40-year employee of Benjamin Moore, who spent most of his time with the company working on the chemistry side and on particularly on the color technology side. And it was through those conversations that Carl and I had, particularly about color, that sort of the idea of this episode came to light is where are consumers going to be as it comes to selecting color for paint jobs in the future? Where is that technology going and how will that impact independent retailers? And Carl is probably one of the foremost authorities on that in the United States. And so I really wanted to give you guys an opportunity to share his perspectives and and some of the conversations that he and I have had. And it's interesting because Carl and I disagree. You're going to hear he'll speak for himself, but Carl believes that the systems we have in place now, as far as how we display color and how we sell color as paint dealers, are primarily going to stay in place, meaning you're always going to have chips and Fandex, and then how they're delivered to the customer may in fact be different over the coming years. That's more of a marketing concern, but I don't share that opinion. While I certainly don't think that colored charts and colored chips and color displays are going away anytime tomorrow, and I certainly think that paint stores in 20 years will still have color displays in them. I think that color selection will continue to move away from the paint store, move away from the color chart, and move on towards the device. And whether that is somebody's home computer or somebody's cell phone. And so 
Carl and I get into that a little bit. It's a really interesting philosophical conversation, and, and certainly nobody's going to know how this plays out. But nonetheless, there are definitely multiple paths that the industry can go from here. And so I wanted to give you a, a look of, at sort of how some of the thought leaders, which is what Carl is, on this topic were thinking. So give a listen. I think you'll enjoy the episode. Carl is without a doubt, one of the smartest guys in the industry. He had a very, very impressive career at Benjamin Moore. And I think you're going to hear that come through in some of his conversations. I think you'll find it really interesting. So like, subscribe. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you on the next episode. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me. It's Mark. And I am here with my good friend, Carl Minshew. Carl, great to see you. What's going on? Oh, it's terrific to be with you, Mark. Uh, we've known each other a long time, and uh, look where we ended up. Uh, uh, how about that, right? It looks like you <laughs> ended up in the backyard. Is that where you are? <laughs> I, uh, I'm rubbing it in because I'm in uh, beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona these days, nice. but I nice. spent most of my life on the East Coast or a bit of it in the central part of the country, and uh, most of it with Benjamin Moore paint. So a lot of your listeners will have some shared experiences with me. Some of them may have met me over the years. I hope so. I started there in 1973, long, long wow. time ago. I know wow. it's, it's, <laughs> it's coming That's up crazy. 50 I years was ago. 10. I was 10, <laughs> I Carl, You're 10 when years you started old. there. Right. <laughs> Who was the CEO when you started at Ben Moore? Uh, Benjamin yep. Belcher Sr. And uh, Ben Jr. also worked for the company. And Ben Sr. was the grandson of Benjamin Moore. Family name changed through the years, but uh, of course he was a, an iconic figure in, in, in the world at that time. It was a much smaller company, so I met him uh, many times. He was Just, at uh, my grandfather's funeral. That's, is that right? That's how that company has yeah. changed. And, and for those who listen, I'm not yeah. dissing Benjamin Moore here, just to be clear, but the world has changed. When I was a kid, Benjamin Moore was a small company and relationships with, within your business were different, right? And so yeah. there were 20 people from Benjamin Moore at my bar mitzvah, at my wedding, <laughs> yeah. you know, my father's bar mitzvah, my father's <laughs> wedding, and at my grandfather's funeral. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go on. No, no, no. It was a, it was a very family-run company. I had a yeah. fantastic career there. I did a lot of stuff. I won't go down all the lists, but I was a paint chemist that they hired in 1973. I worked in various plants around the country and always ended up back in the, the mothership in New Jersey. And over the years, uh, got to participate in a lot of cool stuff and including a lot of work uh, to, uh, to the last 20 years, really, with color, including uh, color systems and color marketing and color technology and, color software and all of that stuff. And uh, it was just terrific. I really enjoyed it. Retired a few years ago, COVID kind of changed things around. My plan was always to end up in Scottsdale, which I have done and uh, very happy here this time of year. Yep. And uh, I've got some other projects going now with uh, other uh, entities, not Benjamin Moore. And I'll, I'll mention one is uh, Color Guild, who also have a color system. And so obviously I'm hoping to bring uh, my understanding to bear. But I've always worked in an environment with uh, independent retailers all those years with Benjamin Moore and, and now back with Color Guild. So and you and I have known each other. I don't even know when we met. It's a long time ago. So <laughs> I can tell I'm, I can say. <laughs> I'm actually going to remind you because I think it's a good story. You're here to talk about color and color is what we're going to talk about. But 
you and I first met about 20 years ago when a group called the Product Stewardship Institute got together in Boston and asked paint manufacturers, paint retailers, and other sort of stakeholders yep. trying to resolve the problem of post-consumer paint waste. And you were the representative that Benjamin Moore sent, and I was selected as one of the retailers, and we got to know each other through that experience. And I'm not sure exactly, you know, where you yeah. are in the business anymore, but you know, that conversation uh, 20 years later became paint care. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah. 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 In fact, uh, I worked with the uh, American Coatings Association, right. which Who owns paint operated care. with Product Stewardship Institute. They did coatings care and I was yep. uh, very much involved in that. I also was involved with a group in Canada called the Product Stewardship Association, PSA, which yeah. created the model for the paint care product or paint care association, which manages post-consumer waste in the paint business. And so I've, I've actually got a long history getting involved in, in this stuff and really happy to see it having progressed and uh, yeah. continuing to move forward. Yeah. So we go and back they, uh, they right actually... to the roots of that. Yeah, they sponsor my podcast now. And I think that that's really cool that I was there sort of at the beginning because yeah. I am a bit of an environmentalist. And so yeah. the idea that that project in particular sort of lasted with me through my career. But anyway, we're here really to talk about colors. So if you don't mind, <laughs> uh, let's we'll let's jump into it. And, and what I thought was, was interesting over some of our conversations was a very different understanding of where we think color is going. And since yours is based on expertise in the space yeah. and mine is based more on the technology, I thought it would make for a really interesting conversation on, on where you and I think color is going, how color is going to be sold and selected in the paint business in the coming decades. And so if, if you don't mind, why don't you start us off with a little bit of history Take a few minutes and go through sort of how we got to where we are now in terms of how we select color in the paint business. Even when you look at uh, house paints, and I've seen records from uh, Colonial Williamsburg, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, and there are lists in the Gazette of different materials being shipped into Virginia, various paint stores, turpentine and oils, as well as a number of different uh, pigments that were used in that period. And there were no paint stores. Painters would go and buy the materials. They'd, they'd mix up their own paint. Uh, they'd go to your house and uh, they'd, they'd say, you know, what, what color do you want? Uh, probably with the woman of the house. Yep. And, and, and they'd go out in the backyard and they'd mix up that color and do a little negotiation. And that was the color. So this, this idea of customizing paint color goes way back. And, and, and just to clarify one thing, there were paint stores, but they weren't selling tinted colored paint. Tremont That's Paint right. in New York at the time that you're talking about, if my father were still here, he would tell you a typical order would be, you know, 200 pounds of lead, 50 yep. gallons of turpentine, 10 gallons of dryer, and a quart each of raw sienna, burnt sienna, and raw umber. There you go. These guys were artisans and they made their own product and then they tinted it to the color to suit the customer or the, the job that they right. were doing at the time. You know, fast forward into post-World War II or so. Before that, companies had made ready-mix colors. So if you wanted barn red or green or, you know, any of five or six basic colors, 
you could get them uh, probably before World War II. After that, this notion that, well, painters are tinting color, which they've been doing all the way through, they never stopped. Why don't we do that in the store for the painter? Can we do that? And these systems developed where uh, you actually had colorant in a tube. I remember those. The formula was, you know, two tubes of blue and a tube of yep. red and, and, and mix it a up. A little and there package you go. of ketchup first that a you little, get at McDonald's. Like, like a ketchup with, package. Yep, there were different ones at different times. I think Benjamin Moore's, and again, I wasn't there to see it, but it was uh, color as you like it. And it was basically these little squeeze bottles or tubes of uh, material. Well, along the way, someone invented dispensers and said, hey, we could make these colorants in bulk, put them in a dispenser, tell you how to make the paint in any color you want. And there you would go. You would put in so many shots of this and so many shots of that. You had a, a loosely book. book that we would open up and we would find the formula. Back then, most of the products tinted right. one formula. So you'd have one like formula. one yep. formula to make every OW16 that there was. Uh, it was a wonderful time. <laughs> yeah, much easier, the book, much the easier. It was one three ring binder. I think that in the it. end, there were six three ring binders. And yep. then we finally got into the digital age with CDs and uh, digital updates. But that's a quick recap. So, I mean, the idea that uh, paint color was customized really isn't a new idea. That goes back to the very beginning of paint, probably. But how you do that, the technology has evolved so that it became something that was done at a retail store. And, and that's probably going to continue because you're dealing with these heavy liquid materials. It's kind of a mess to do it in the field unless you have the proper equipment, which most consumers obviously don't have. But the idea of what color do you want and how do you pick it, I think that's probably leads into what we want to talk about. Right. And, and so as, as that all developed, as all of the dispensing and the tinting technology developed, what also developed was the company's dependencies on Fandex colored charts right. to display their color, whether they were made in a drawn, drawn down lacquer as is sort of most traditional, or whether they're made in just full on actual paint samples, which some of the manufacturers, this guy who sent me this shirt, C2, coincidentally, that's how they do it. They actually yep. paint out a 50 foot card of, of whatever is their color, and then they pay an intern to cut it. But either way, it's it's still the same. It's sort of based on this technology, which requires somebody to come in and access a chip. And so the technology recently has brought a lot of changes uh, right. to how we're picking colors. And there's been some limitations to some of those changes. Do you want to talk about that at all? Sure. And, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to agree and we're going to disagree and that's fine. That's, that's okay. That's what makes the world. Well, listen, you're here because we disagree. That's why, <laughs> that's why we're making this episode. I'm looking forward to it. We'll get it, we'll get yeah. it going. I have been uh, interested in the technology for many, 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 many years. And I was involved uh, in my early years as a, as a chemist with using computers to match color. We did that in our, in our factories at Benjamin Moore. And uh, in fact, we did it with a teletype machine, which you're going to wow. have to go into Wikipedia and look up what a teletype machine even looks like. And uh, a time-sharing computer, which was up in North Dakota somewhere, and uh, exchanging data back and forth and using a spectrophotometer that was the size of a, bigger than a toaster oven right now. 
So I've been interested in this technology. And of course, a great deal has happened. It's evolved and spectrophotometers are much better, much cheaper and very, very good. And even uh, color readers, which a number of companies are selling uh, small color readers that are pretty accurate. What do those color readers do? They look up the color you read and match it to the closest color in the system that you're interested in. So obviously a Benjamin Moore or a Color Guild color or PPG color, whatever, right. uh, whatever is of interest to you. And these readers now, uh, because of what's happened to the chip, these readers now are the size of your finger and, yep. and uh, you can buy them with unlimited. You know, you get them cheap from Benjamin Moore. They're just downloaded with the Benjamin Moore Fandex, which of course is appropriate. But if you wanted to go pay full price for that from Datacolor, they'll sell it to you with every Fandex that they've got. Yep, yep. So the, so the question becomes, are, are these things somehow going to fundamentally change the idea of these color systems and all of the color merchandise? Uh, here's one I just happened to have in front of me. You knew I would do this, right? And this is the fan deck that everybody knows and loves. It's been around yeah. for, I don't know, at least 50 years, probably more. And there's a reason why it exists. And there's a reason why fundamentally they really haven't changed very much over the years. Uh, every company makes them and uh, they do a job. So my position is, I love the technology. I think it can do a lot for us. And uh, maybe we'll get into some of the future looking uh, ways to use it. But I think Fandex have a future and I think these color systems have a future to, here to stay. And so one of the shortcomings that I was referring to that we, we really didn't talk about is the shortcoming of the displaying of color. Right. Mm -hmm. And and so people now they're they're in front of their screens all day. They're in or they have their phone or their iPad uh, in their hands on an awful day. They're constantly barraged with color, but with paint and displaying the color of paint on a phone or on a screen. There's some problems there. What are they, Carl? Well, it, it's you know, we're so used to seeing this. We don't even think about it anymore. And a lot of what we see uh, on our smartphones and pads and computers are uh, images. And that is to say, essentially photographs or, or uh, movies, moving images, where we're seeing color in context. And one of the things I love about color is understanding what's going on in your head. And there's a whole lecture I could do, not today, some other time. Not today. About where color actually happens, what is it? But more important is the fact that when you see these images in context, you know the grass is green, the sky is blue, uh, you know what those colors are and your brain sort of stitches this together in a logical way. So the wall color becomes part of that scene and you are pretty sure you understand exactly what color that is and it works pretty well. But if you hold a color chip up to it, if you say, oh, that's Benjamin Moore AC49, and you hold up that AC49 chip, it's going to turn out that they don't look anything alike. Uh, they that's may right. be reddish or bluish or yellowish, right. but they don't match. And right. that's because the, the, the technology, the RGB technology, the screen technologies are fantastic. And they're very stable, but they are not color accurate in all conditions. And the key is the lighting, the lighting is a huge changes. problem. The right? lighting is the key. Lighting changes yeah. all the time. So if I took my, my smartphone 
and I only ever used it in a darkened room and I calibrated the screen perfectly to a certain illuminant, right? I could get it to be a very good representation of a color, but as soon as the lighting changes, I lose that. So it's very challenging to truly see color other than a kind of representation of it on a, on a device like a smartphone or a computer. So I contend that these, these Fandex, here's one from my, my former company, so you recognize that. Uh, they're gonna be around for a while because they represent a reference point that everybody can agree what that color is and how to make it moving forward. And so I actually agree with you that those color systems oh, well, are there goes the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that those color systems aren't going anywhere anytime soon because the right. manufacturers see them as part of what they offer their customers that are unique. If we had Dan Quakins on this episode with us, which by the way, a year ago, he'd have had to pay us both to sit here and talk to each other. We were both on the payroll. Had we had him here to join us, he would say something like, listen, Benjamin Moore thinks that we do a better job with color than anybody else. And so yep. we want that to be our foot forward into the industry. And so I agree with you, the color systems are not going anywhere. Where you and I disagree is how the selection process how the mm -hmm. process of picking a color and turning it into paint is going to change in the next 10 years. And, and so you've made the point that, that you don't think it's going to change. You've made the point that color is still going to be driven in some way through the chips in the store. And I understand some companies may be marketing that differently. They may be mailing out samples by then. You may be yeah. clicking on a website and you get a strip in the mail. Right, exactly. Two days later, yeah. there's all sorts of things like that. Companies mailing out wet samples and, and all of that, I would be a fool to argue. That's all coming. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, my side hustle with my own sites, uh, my yeah. dealers are looking into how, to, right. how do they do that to their advantage. Right to gain right. more consumers. So that I think is is absolutely coming where where I think you and I diverge is the the issue that you're concerned about that you think is going to drive the consumer ultimately back to the paint store the inaccuracy mm -hmm. uh, or the paint displays wherever they are the inaccuracy of a screen's ability, whether that's your, your Mac at home or your iPhone, a screen's ability to transmit and display color to you. And, and I'm of the opinion that all of that is completely irrelevant to the modern consumer. And that while it's true that there's some percentage, I don't know, don't make me guess, of the market that is very particular, we want exactly this. Mm -hmm. That customer, I agree, is always gonna to go to the paint store or some sure. other place, you know, an architectural fan deck or something like that. But I would tell you, in my opinion, that's a very low number. And the consumers that are coming into sort of the economy now, the consumers that were born with an iPhone, right? And, and even now, these, these are people that are just now coming into the economy. They don't have any of these concerns, in my opinion, as it relates to color matching. And most of them don't even know that a paint store exists. They have a phone, they have an app, sure. and everything they need just shows up. And so it's, it's my contention that 
that dependency on the equipment is going to force irrelevance on the color selection process as it currently exists by chip right. in the store, you know? Right. And, and so you and I started having this conversation about how that would happen. And coincidentally, I got that news story that I shared with you yeah. about how, <laughs> right, Katy Perry, Katy Perry, for those who don't know, she's uh, obviously a big star. We all know her name. Even Carl knew her name. So that'll tell you how that, big of a star she is. That goes to is. show you, yes. <laughs> right. And so Katy Perry now has a color palette that she's created for Home Depot that is paired where she has colors paired to the moods in her songs. And so now a customer can listen to one of her songs on Spotify and decide that they want to feel in their bedroom like Katy Perry feels singing this song, press a button and a day later, Home Depot is going to deliver a gallon of that paint in that color. And so while I think that that's probably now only affecting, you know, just the 18 year old Katy yeah. Perry fans who happen to also be painting their room, uh, I think that that in the future is where all of this is going. I don't see yeah. how the chips are going to be able to withstand the onslaught of technology. Yeah, I, I think we, we certainly agree. There are going to be fans of Katy Perry or, or, or whomever. Um, and actually, that site is very cool. I recommend people take a look at it. Yeah, you should go uh, look it at it. It is kind of fun. It is kind of fun. Yep. Katy Perry colors. And uh, I think it's bare of through bear.com or Home Depot. It's bear and, and you can buy them right from Spotify, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah, you can buy them right through Spotify. It's, it's, it's a very cool marketing idea. And I don't doubt for a minute that you're absolutely right. There are people who are going to see, I, I'm actually trying to find a place in my house where I can paint it that, uh, that deep red uh, waking up in Las Vegas, because who the heck wouldn't want that in their house right. somewhere? And, and the name alone sells the paint. But I think you're going to have, uh, most people are going to have that experience once. And if they paint when the next room, they're going to want to be a little more uh, thoughtful about what color they paint it. And they want to make sure it goes with their sofa and their carpet and their, not always. I think there's definitely room for a Katy Perry or, or whoever to sort of promote a color. And I'm going to buy it just because they promoted it because I love them and I want to emulate them. And that's great. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's terrific. That's a great association. But I think as, as people mature in their taste and want a little more control over their environment, they're going to want to see some example of that color so that they can compare it to the other colors in their home. And they know what they're seeing on their phone or their computer isn't telling the whole story. That's, so that's where we differ. That's where you and I definitely disagree with each other, right? Yeah. Because <clears throat> now I spent 30 years in a paint store and, and, and I have a, a pretty large amount of experience with helping people pick color. I'm talking about me personally in my store, right. helping right. people pick color. And I think that the color companies like Color Guild and the paint makers, Benjamin Moore and Sharon Williams in Pittsburgh are all wrong in the... Uh, number of colors they think they need to cover a spectrum, and they're also wrong in how much accuracy the average consumer wants when they pick a color. I would argue with you that probably 90% of the market can be captured with an 85 or 90% color match. I don't think that 
people going forward, if you've never walked into a paint store, you've never looked at a color any place but on right. your Mac or your iPhone, how the fuck, Carl, are you going to know that this color doesn't match completely? And, yeah. and so that's what I can't get past is how will the technology not solve that problem at least good enough that color selection will no longer need to happen in a paint store? And I'll, I'll give you right. an example. You know, I've got these sites up now where we have nice size, bigger than you have in a Benjamin Moore dealer, nice size displays of every color on the sites that we have up. And listen, we have the little caveat down at the bottom with the asterisk colors may not, you know, actually, right. but you know, I've got six sites running this now and some of them I'll admit are just doing okay, but some of them are selling a lot of paint and we're not getting gallons back. Interesting. Well, right? time is going to tell, and uh, I, I'm anxious to see, as you are, how this all plays out. Uh, but I, I know you've had the experience, and I've certainly had it, where you get color complaints. And yeah. you get color complaints when the company screws up and the base is off strength. And you get color complaints when the retailer screws up and doesn't clean the machine properly and they don't get a good dispense. And you, sometimes you get color complaints when the color is right. But the customer just didn't like, or they didn't, they couldn't imagine it that big. And those were all valid color complaints. If the customer's not happy, the customer's not so, happy. Yeah, if the but customer's not happy, they show get a them that in, in, in the case of the retailer, being able to show them that now this is this is what I have as a target, my color chip. This is what I gave you. It's a great match. I'm sorry you're not happy. Let's work this out because I want you to be happy. I just want you to understand it wasn't a mistake here. It's just a learning process that sometimes these colors look different when they're in a big room, different lighting and so forth. So, so I have that experience. Yeah. It's like the work that I did in color technology. It's a little like a doctor. I only ever saw the sick people. Right. The healthy people never called to see me. Most of the paint we sold, everybody was just totally delighted with. But when there was a problem, I'm the one that got to see it. So that's you know, sense. One of the things that happens with technology and, and with great advancements, whether they be techno technologically based or otherwise, one of the things that happens with great advancements is not the elimination of problems. It's the redistribution of problems, right? right. And so the idea would be that the whole process of picking colors will get better with this advancement in technology, though it may still come or even create additional problems. So the problem that you're talking right. about, I agree, you know, somebody's going to pick a color off of the phone, they're going to sh show the guy a picture or do it off a picture, and it's not going to be that close. And they're just period yeah. disappointed, and they need their three gallons of paint refunded. And I get yeah. it that that's going to happen. But what is a company like Benjamin Moore going to say about that refund, when they've saved $100 million a year on making the chips? When they no longer have <laughs> no. to mail out charts and, and keep track of architectural books and digests, when they no longer have to do that to the savings of $100 million a year, will they complain about the $10 million in mistents? Yeah. And I would say the same thing about a retailer. When you no longer have to pay somebody, we had somebody in our stores 
who is primarily responsible for helping people with color, right? Yeah. In both both of my stores, right? I mean, like like most of the people listening, they, they, they have that person, right? That's not a flex. That's somebody that you right. have at a paint store. Right, right. And so when I don't have to have that person there anymore, right. when right. I can save that, you know, by New York standards, 50, 60 grand a year, well, what do I care if I have to refund a, a, another 100 gallons a year because of customers' dissatisfaction? How do you answer uh, to that? Yeah, well, I, I don't think anything is gonna disappear overnight. I think we're gonna have Pandex, we're gonna have chip racks. A lot of retailers are gonna help their customers with color because the customers like that kind of attention. And yeah. that relationship between the dealer some and the customer, customers. some customers, some customers right. don't want it. And, and, you know, uh, a millennial sitting on his, uh, his or her sofa playing That's video games, color, That's picking right. color in between times may not go to a paint store and it may be really happy with whatever color Katy Perry says right. is the right color. But I think they're going to outgrow that pretty quick. I think it's got a, a, a limited time span where that's gonna be the right solution. And ultimately, they're gonna want a little more predictability, a little more certainty about what they're getting. They may not have a, the same relationship with a retailer that their parents had. That yeah. is something that may change fundamentally. Won't go away, but it'll change. But the need to see the color in context, that physiologically, the way you see color, that isn't gonna go away. And so far, the electronic devices don't fix that. They don't yeah. address it where, where it gets complicated. Well, they don't address it because of the accuracy issue, right? Just to yes, be clear, yes. that's why they don't address it. Well, and so it, it, for, peop yes. for people who care less about accuracy, they do address it. Yes, fair, fair enough. I think that where your gray hair is failing you and not bringing you wisdom is, <laughs> is that you're thinking in terms of how you are as a consumer and based on how yeah. you've been taught the paint consumer is. And, and I respect that, Carl, you're here because I respect you, right? I only right. called five, just only five other people before I settled on you for this episode. <laughs> so, at, least, at least I was on the B list anyway. <laughs> yes, well, John Minerovich wasn't available, right? So I had to call you. And John and, would have been a great conversation. <laughs> you're right. But my feeling is what you're thinking fails to bring into account is that we're thinking about it the way we were taught to think about it. And sure. this whole group of consumers that's coming up, Carl, they weren't taught any of those things. And, right. and I know now I have in my life uh, between uh, my own daughter, Buck, and, and Guy's two children, so we have three millennials in our lives. And, and I'll tell you what, I can't conceive of any of the three of them going to a paint store, <laughs> talking to another human being about what paints they need for their walls, and then having them select the color. Because in my experience, yeah. and, and the, the three of them from youngest, which is Buck, the youngest to oldest is, is 24 to 31. From my right. experience, this generation wants nothing to do with talking to anybody that they don't have to talk to. They wanna do it entirely and completely on their phone. Sure. And so while I agree that within that generation, there are gonna be a few picky ones that may need that kind of service. And I certainly don't think that color displays in paint stores are going away anytime soon. 
I just think that 80% of that group would, to your point, well, what happens if the color on the Nick sensor is just not quite good enough? Yeah, I think they'll pick the color next to it. Yeah. I think they'll do okay. it. And I think that they'll be very comfortable with it. Well, well I think ultimately uh, some of those decisions are going to be made without anything. And some of those folks are going to come yeah. back and want to see a fan deck. We're coming to the end here. Any final thoughts that you want to uh, share with paint dealers before we cut it off? I, I think the question is, what, where does all of this lead? I think there's going to be room for the traditional retailer because there are customers who are going to want that uh, hands-on experience and a relationship because they're, you know, they haven't done their last paint job. They know they're going to be doing something again next year and the year after. There are going to be people who have relationships with contractors, and we didn't talk about contractors today. No, we but didn't. Contractors are, are not going to take a, a customer's word for it that what they saw on their phone is the color they want. I suspect they've had point. too many bad experiences. They're going to want to button it up a little better than that. And there are going to be consumers who embrace the technology and order that uh, waking up in Las Vegas red, and uh, they just don't care. They're going to be happy with that. So there's something for everybody, and that's kind of it. From, from the color of our beards, I'm sorry to say that we're probably not both going to be around to see it, but well, <laughs> since I know you take good care of yourself, you'll you'll meet me on the other side and let me know how all of this ended. Well, I, I look forward to keeping track of this and having another conversation yeah. very soon. I'd like that. Carl, Carl Minshew, my dear friend, color expert with Color Guild and formerly Avenger Moore, thank you so much for joining me today. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks, Mark. Real pleasure. Take care.